Good. Well, what a joy it is to be here with you today. I was just thinking about these ladies and appreciating their music and thinking, ah, man, here we are on Valentine's Day, and uh, they've left their husbands back in Colorado. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> we love them. But... <laughs> it, uh, the Nazarene circle is very small. So uh, have not met these ladies before this morning. Uh, Lynette Cherry. Cherry is a name that I know. I grew up on uh, what was called the Joplin District in, in southeast Missouri, southeast uh, Kansas. And uh, um, so Alice and Marvin Cherry were a part of uh, the district, and uh, so I knew that name, and uh, Grandma and Grandpa for her uh, husbands. And uh, then found out that her aunt uh, was in my church uh, for almost 17 years. We pastored in Guyman, Oklahoma, and Carol Cornelius, Carol and her husband Preston, is Lynette's aunt. And uh, so uh, she's probably already planning how she's going to call Aunt Carol today and check up on me. Uh, But uh, it's a great privilege. And what a privilege it is to be with you and Pastor BJ and Alicia. And, uh, you know, I was here a little over a year ago to uh, conduct a pastoral review and uh, just loved listening to the board. You were one of my first reviews as a new district superintendent and uh, loved listening to the board and their heart as they shared uh, about their pastor and their commitment to him and uh, their commitment to one another as a congregation that you would seek out to do the will of God and be all that God wants you to be. Well, here we are on Valentine's Day, and uh, some of you probably had a special thing this morning that you did uh, for your loved one. Uh, we got uh, a word from a, our, uh, a thank you from our grandkids uh, last night, two of the ten, uh, that uh, they said thank you. They got a card in the mail that had just a couple of $1 bills in it. That was our gift to them, you know, just a little extra something. And, uh, but I have to admit to you, I don't do, I'm not a very good gift giver. Uh, gifting or is probably not my love language. Gift giving is probably not my love language. And uh, I asked Becky yesterday, okay, can you tell me some of the gifts that I've given to you over Valentine's Day? And uh, my only reprieve was that she, didn't rem- she only remembered one really for Valentine's, and I remembered that same one. So I, f- I was feeling like I, I did pretty good. And I have a picture that uh, is a picture of a, I got her a big teddy bear. I think it was our first uh, married Valentine's Day, our first day as a couple, first Valentine's Day as a couple. And uh, it wasn't quite this big, but it was big. And uh, it was sitting on a rocking chair. I'd snuck it in the apartment uh, there in Olathe and carried it downstairs and fixed up uh, the downstairs somehow and had this big old teddy bear sitting in the rocking chair. It was about the size of a second or third grader. And uh, uh, so it was just, you know, it, was, it ended up being a special gift. And, and we kept it around the house for a long, long time. I just imagine that probably all four of our kids had their picture taken, uh, maybe not quite like this one, but uh, had, had uh, their picture taken with that teddy bear. It was in the guest bedroom on the bed for a long time, and uh, we were just talking about it yesterday. 
we're not sure what happened to Teddy Bear. Uh, we don't know if he got sold in a garage sale when we were getting ready to move to Mustang or, or to here to Illinois or what, but uh, Teddy Bear didn't make it. But it was a gift, and it, I still remember it today. And uh, this morning, since it's Valentine's Day, I want to take us to a, pas- a passage of Scripture that, that I kind of believe kind of gives us this insight that God desires that you and I would be his valentine. That we would offer ourselves up to him in such a way that we would be loving and committed and devoted in such a way that he is pleased to call us his valentine. And I'm going to take us to a passage of scripture in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 13, And we're going to read verses 1 through 14, but the theme of it is really around uh, the words that Samuel declares to King Saul. In verse 14, he says, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. God desires that each one of us would be a man, a woman, a young person, a child, a grandmother, a grandfather, an employee, and a boss, a church member that would be seeking after the heart of God. So we got to read this whole story. It's, it's probably not a, a very romantic story in 1 Samuel 13. In fact, it's kind of an unpleasant story. But as we look at that, and we then contrast a little bit about King David a little bit later, I think that we will see what the difference is between a man that's after his own heart and a person, a man that's after the heart of God. So 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Would you mind, uh, in honor of the word of God, would you stand? And uh, when I finish on verse 14, I I just have kind of my own personal little tradition uh, that whenever I complete a a passage of Scripture reading, I I like to declare uh, thanks, uh, this is the word of the Lord. And then I love to hear the congregation simply respond and say, thanks be to God. So when I get to the end and say that, would you uh, just uh, help me today? Uh, by declaring your thanksgiving for God's word. Saul was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. 
the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and their army was hard-pressed, they hid in the caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops were with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, Samuel said. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the the Lord's command. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, what this passage simply tells us is that Saul was not really a man after God's own heart. He had no desire to make God his valentine. And as we hear in the story, it became his decision became costly for himself, for the kingdom, and for all of the people of Israel. And, and by reading on in the book of Sam, 1 Samuel, we discover that uh, Samuel, this priest, goes on and is charged with the the plan of finding a new king and anointing him because God is longing for a king who will follow after God's own heart. And and we know in in chapter 16 that that Samuel goes out to uh, Bethlehem and there he he finds the home of Jesse and they bring in all of Jesse's sons. And you remember he brings in the first one, Eliab, and he's... Bold and strong, and and surely his stature is the kind of stature that would become the king. And Samuel is sure that he is to anoint him. And God says, no, don't look at the outside, don't look at the outward appearance, but instead I'm interested in his heart. And so Samuel goes through all of his sons, 
And the Lord doesn't approve of any one of them. And he says to Jesse, Samuel says to Jesse, don't you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, I still have my youngest son. And he's out in the field tending sheep. And Samuel says, bring him in. Let me see him. And when David comes, the Lord says, this is the one. Anoint him. Now, I, I, we have the kids in here. How many of you are 10 years old? 10, 11, or 12? We've got a 10-year-old there? A couple 10-year-olds, 11, 12-year-olds? The scholars say that when David was out there taking care of his sheep, a few of them say he could have been as young as 10 years old. Others say he was 15. So somewhere between 10 and 15. So the, you 10-year-olds, you 11-year-olds, you 12-year-olds, think about it for a moment. That your dad sends out word out to the field, out to your workplace where you're doing some kind of work to help dad. And you come in and this guy, this, this old preacher, <laughs> takes out this, this bottle of oil and puts it on your head and prays over you. Wouldn't that be in it? Wouldn't you wonder, what is this guy doing? I mean, think about it for a moment. What in the world would this 10, 11, 12, 15-year-old kid be thinking when this guy said, you, my son, are blessed and chosen by God because you will be a man after God's own heart. Wow. So we have this contrast between King Saul the king of all Israel, and this young boy that God announces is chasing after my heart. And, and there's so much in David's life. We could, we could talk about all kinds of things in the midst of David's heart, but I have to admit, sometimes I struggle in understanding how David was really a man after God's heart. Because after all, folks, didn't he lie? Didn't he commit adultery? Didn't he murder? And yet in the midst of all that, God called after him. And he was seeking after God's heart. So what's the difference between King Saul, who simply offered an offering, a burnt offering, and the Lord says, through Samuel, you are no longer after my heart. And King David, this young man who in the midst of his journey made some pretty bad choices in his life, but yet God declares he is a man after my own heart. Well, this morning, and there are many things, but I just want to take a minute to talk about four of them real briefly, okay? we can kind of compare, contrast these two men and see the difference between a man who was not after God's heart and a man who was. The first one is, the, is a person who's after God's heart is one who honors God. You see in our text, what was going on? Saul was scared. He was looking out. And he saw all of these Philistines and, and he began to tremble 
and shake because he was afraid to go against all of them. And the men were beginning to scatter. And so he thought, Samuel's not coming and I got to make sure I get this burnt offering offered up to God before we go fight this battle. There's just too many of these Israel or these Philistines for us to fight against. But Samuel, excuse me, but Saul, there's too many S's in the word, Saul dishonored God because he did the very thing that God had commanded him not to do. He thought, well, I'm king. I'm in charge. Samuel's not here, so I'll just do what's needed to be done so that we can get this taken care of. He did not honor God's commands. Saul was not interested in giving credit or praise to others. Did you notice in our story that he divided his son Jonathan, gave him a thousand men, and he took three thousand men, and Jonathan went and raided a group and a part of the Philistine army and defeated them? And did you notice there in verse um, 4, he declares, Saul has attacked the Philistines. You see, he wasn't interested in honoring other people. He was only interested in lifting up himself. I am the king. David, on the other hand, David honored God. When Saul disobeyed God's command, what did he do? He began to make excuses. Well, Samuel... You weren't here and somebody needed to do this. Or the men were scattering, so I had to do something. But in the midst of David's sin, what did David do? He didn't make excuses. Instead, he repented. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. In a few moments. As we begin these services this week, my question is, do we allow the Holy Spirit room to work in our life in such a way that we are willing to respond in an honoring way of who God is? Now, I'm not a musician. Um, I'm just not much. I played a trumpet in in school, but I'm really not a musician. But they tell me that violinists that understand the value of a violin, if someone were to walk in here with a Stradivarius violin, there would be this sense on a violinist's heart that would say, wow. Now, some of you guys may have, cars may be really special to you. And if someone that you know comes in and has a really special, expensive car that you would really like to have, and they drive it up and they say, would you like to drive my car? You would go, wow, yeah. I, I just Sometimes I, I start chasing bunny rabbits, you know, along the way, and I just, I, maybe the Holy Spirit just reminded me here. I don't know, maybe it's just myself. that When I was in college... 
Um, and Becky knows this story. I dated a girl that uh, was not Becky. And uh, she came new to the school at, at midterm. And uh, she was with friends of, of a group that we were, uh, that I would hang out with. And uh, so they, they began to say, hey, Terry, you should ask Carla out on a date. So I asked Carla out on a date. And in the midst of our date, I discovered that she owned a 1976 Corvette. And you got to remember, this was back in 1976, 77. Her dad worked for GM in California somewhere, and, and uh, so she owned a brand new spanking new Corvette. And so we dated for a few weeks, maybe even a month, I don't know, it wasn't very long, but we got to be good. She would borrow my car because her dad wouldn't let her bring her Corvette from California to Olathe, Kansas in the winter. Makes good sense, doesn't it? So during the time that we were dating, she would borrow my car quite a bit and drive it around campus and wherever she was going or somewhere. And so she told me that whenever she got her Corvette here, I would get to drive her Corvette. So I thought, this is going to be pretty cool. Well, then we kind of quit dating. But we were still friends. And so after spring break, she had her Corvette back on campus. And uh, one day we were sitting in the campus center of the cafeteria and talking, and she was around, and she said, Hey, Terry, would you like to drive my Corvette over to chapel? And, and, and you got to, if you know Mid-America at all, it's, it's not very far. I, <laughs> I mean, it's just a few blocks. And I said, sure, Carla, I would love to drive your Corvette. So she gave me the keys, and I got in the car and headed out of the parking lot. And just as I began to get onto the road there, a policeman came down the corner and followed me the whole way over to the chapel. So I never, re I never really got to drive that Corvette. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I never really got to drive it and try it out. Anyway, well, I got sidetracked, but, but uh, you see, if there's something that's really special to you, there is this <gasps> moment. And honoring God is like we recognize God's presence and we just want to do whatever we can to obey Him. Saul was more interested in taking care of himself. He felt that he had to, to call on God. He felt he had to off, make the offering so that, that he could go into battle and be victorious. But David, he knew that, his, that God wasn't just a genie God that would provide victory for him, but he wanted to honor and worship and adore God because God was God, his God. And today, as we think about what it means to honor God, to be a person, to be a man or a woman or a young person or a child after the heart of God, we have to recognize that there must be an honor, a recognition that God the creator of the universe has called us, has sought after us, is seeking us to worship him and to love him and to adore him, to be his valentine. And so, my friends, this morning I ask you the question, are you one who honors God? Do you recognize his presence? Secondly, a man after God's heart enthrones him as king. 
enthrones him as king. What does that mean? It means enthroned means to place God into a place of authority and control in your life. To place great value and virtue on who he is. As we mentioned, for David, the Lord God was king. For Saul, Saul was king. Did that make sense? For Saul, Saul was king. I'm in control. I'm the one that makes all the decisions. But for David, the Lord God was king. Both of them knew the importance of sacrifice before the battle. Saul thought it was important because it would help him win the battle. But David thought it was important because he honored God. Saul thought God would help him achieve his goals. David thought God was his goal. What are your goals in your spirituality, in your relationship with God? Is it simply to get what you want? Is your relationship with God just some kind of abstract life insurance policy that will keep you out of hell? Or is your relationship with God that you have placed Him into a place of position and virtue and importance in the midst of your life? Are we individuals pursuing the heart of God because we recognize because we recognize that it brings God honor and pleases Him. You know, in the New Testament, it teaches us that if we are truly going to be a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, a young person after God's own heart, we must die daily to Christ. As I think about that, I think about who we are as Wesleyans. The Church of the Nazarene that follows after the teaching of of John Wesley as he tried to explain it and, and as he understood it. And that there is within us this very nature that wants to be in control of our own life. I I often think I'm gonna borrow some props here. I, I just like to visualize and understand this in practical terms, okay? So here I am, I'm, this is a car, okay? I'm getting in the driver's seat of my car. And I get to take my life wherever I want to go. I mean, you know, you young people that just got your driver's license in the last few years, wasn't it exciting because you could take you wherever you wanted to go? So you get in this car and you're going wherever you want to go. This is this idea of enthroning who God is. Making Him the place of priority. Somewhere along in the way in your journey, God convicts your spirit and you know you need God in your life. And you confess your sins. We're going to talk about a repentant heart here in just a moment. You confess your sins and you invite Jesus to come into your car. Hey, Jesus, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming along. Hey, you want to go somewhere? Where would you like to go? I'll take you there. 
And isn't that how we kind of see God? Hey, God, you got any extra money? We need some more gas. <laughs> hey, let's, let's go through the drive-thru at McDonald's. You got any cash? You got any plas- extra credit? You got your mom's credit card? We've invited Jesus into our life, but we've not allowed him to be the king of our life. And, and here's a very simple illustration, folks. One that children, I think young people, and even us as adults need to be reminded. When we come to this place in our life that we're going to allow God to become king of our heart and king of our life, you know what we say? Jesus, would you like to drive my life? And we have to physically get up, get into the passenger seat, and let God take control of the driver's seat. That's what it means to allow God to enthrone our heart, that we enthrone the Lord in our hearts. We make him king of our life. The church of the Nazarene believes that we have to invite Jesus into the car, into our lives, but we also believe that there has to be a point in our journey that we give God control of our life. And I know, I think every time I use this illustration, I think of the song. You know it already, Jesus Take the Wheel. I don't think that whenever it was written or or being sung, probably they weren't thinking about entire sanctification. (laughs) But let me tell you, that's exactly what it means. When we say, I am willing to consecrate my life to you, God, you sanctify me and take control. You come and sit in the driver's seat. I'm going to enthrone you. I'm going to make you king of my life and king of my heart. And that is a symbol of a man who is after God's own heart. Third, a heart for God is a soft, repentant heart. As we mentioned a moment ago, when Saul was confronted with his sin, he made excuses. Well, Sammy, you weren't here. And everybody was going their own way. I had to do something. When David was confronted with his sin of adultery and murder, he confessed his sin and repented. David was broken because of his sin. His heart was broken because he knew that he had broken the heart of God. And he confessed his sin and asked God to give him, create in me a new heart, a pure heart. Now, since we're on theology already, let's just jump in real quick here. Our Calvinist brothers and sisters For us, we're not like them because we believe that we have our own personal will. We we have our own decision. We we believe that God has given to us our our own desire to, to make our decision to drive our car. And we never have to invite Jesus to come into our life because of our free will. But once we invite Jesus into, and God desires that we do that, that's why he sent his son to die on a cross 
to forgive us of our sins when we confess our sins and we invite Him into our life. But we know that you and I can choose to go our own way. Back to our simple illustration. Hey, Jesus, you know, I'm going to go somewhere I really don't want you to go right now. So I'm going to drop you off at mom's house or your parents' house or whatever. You go do your thing. I'm going to go do my own thing. That's part of our theology, our part of our understanding that we can do whatever we want. God doesn't force us. God never forces himself to stay in our car. We can push him out. We can drop him off. But for David, when he sinned and he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, he confessed and he asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins, as we term it now. But let me just say to you, I don't want to just dog on our Calvinist brothers because they're good people. They're very good people. And and they have a heart to chase after God. We just have a different understanding of Scripture. But I'm concerned that somewhere in the midst of our Nazarendom, going back to our little illustration, we put Jesus in this driver's seat and we think we can do whatever we want sitting over here on this side. And that we as Christians will never fail him. That we'll never say or have a bad thought or action. But my friends, as I read scripture, there's all kinds of things that I see in the life of the church. There's, there's things like talking bad about other people. I don't believe that's Christ-like. Gossip, slander, uh, an unwillingness to forgive. I think in the life of the church, that's probably one of the greatest struggles that we have sitting in the seat, that someone wrongs us, that they hurt us. And we have a, we don't have a right to be mad, but our humanness causes us to be upset and frustrated and and we want to get even. And, and folks, that's not Christ-like. It requires repentance, just like David. David was a man after God's own heart. In his weakness, in his humanness, he failed. And he broke God's command. And he needed to ask for forgiveness. He confessed And he repented. And you know what repentance means, don't you, church? It means that we change the way that we act. So for David, he he couldn't continue to live with a murderer's heart. He had to not only forgive, but he had to make a decision. I'm not going to do that again. A heart for God has a repentant heart. And in the life of the church, we must continually have a repentant heart, willing to confess. Let me just say that one of the things that I believe that our Catholic brothers and sisters have correct is the importance of confession. 
They realize the need that we as people, as human beings, fall short and need to come to a place of confession. The only problem is they're confessing to a priest. We have a heavenly priest. And church, we need to be willing to confess. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And in our weakness, sometimes we fall short of the glory of God and we must be willing to confess that and repent of it and be willing to change our ways if we are going to be a a man or a woman after the heart of God. In a few moments, I got one more heart for God, but I just want to tell you right now, in just a few moments, we're going to close after the number four point and we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to work and if there's something that falls short of God's glory in your life there is no better time than today for you to confess it, repent and seek after God and all that he has four, finally a man after God's heart loves other people Saul became increasingly bitter against the people and lived more and more unto himself. But David, David loved people. Just two quick examples of that. If you read much in Saul's life, you remember that the, the, um, the bitterness between Saul and David happened very quickly in their relationship. David had killed Goliath. Remember that story? And Saul had brought him into the kingdom, gave him a place of importance. But all of a sudden, as David continued to grow and be used in the army of the Israelites, they began to have their parades of victory, celebration. And all of a sudden, the crowds in the street began to yell, Saul has slain his thousands. And David has slain his ten thousands. And all of a sudden, Saul was bitter towards David. And begin way back early on to plot to kill David because he didn't like people. He wanted to be king. But David, <laughs> don't you just love the stories in the Old Testament? David's running for his life. In the midst of that, he's hiding in a cave. And all of a sudden, King Saul has to relieve himself. And he walks back deep into the cave where David's at. And with his robe down, David sneaks up and cuts off a corner of the robe. Saul finishes, goes back out, and then here comes David. Hey, Saul, my paraphrase, your life was in my hands. But you see, I recognize that you are God's anointed. And it wasn't right for me to take life into my own hands. Because I love God, and I really love you. When King David was king and his son Absalom tried to overthrow the throne, David had to run again. When everything kind of righted back up, King David said to his men, do not kill my son. 
You see, David had a longing to like people, even those who were his enemies. A man, a woman, a young person, teenager, child, employee, boss, church member, whatever you are, if we are going to be people after God's own heart, we are going to be people who will love others. Even our enemies, as Jesus taught us to. And so this morning I ask you a question. How are you treating other people? <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry that uh, Susie fell and broke her leg. And, and I would be disappointed if I was sitting in your shoes not to hear Susie because she's a great communicator. And uh, you may be thinking this DS is just really long-winded and he's just going crazy on us. But I really believe this is the word of God for the people of God. If we are going to be people who will, uh, will uh, be a person after God's heart, be his valentine, we must honor him. We must recognize his presence and his greatness, his awe. We will be people who, are, if we are after God's heart, we will be people who will step off of, out of the driver's seat and into the passenger seat so that God can be enthroned in our life. We will be people who will be repentant our whole life. And we will be people who love God and that's shown by our love for one another. Let me pray with you. Father, in these next few moments, uh, we're just asking that your Holy Spirit would, would uh, work in our life. We're so thankful that you are here. that you have a message to speak to each one of us. Father, for many of these people, maybe all of them, I don't know, you know, maybe every one of them is a person that's seeking after your heart. They want to make you their valentine and they love that you are their valentine. But maybe for some of us, we haven't quite honored you the way that we should. Or maybe we haven't quite allowed you to become the king of our life and enthroned you. Maybe there's something in our life that needs confession and repentance. Or maybe we just need to find a, a way to love our neighbor as ourself, no matter who that neighbor might be. So in these few moments, I just pray that as... Uh, Lynette sings that our hearts would be stirred and that we would respond to what you would ask of us in Christ's name. Listen now to these words, and if you would like to pray, the altars are always open. Just as I am.
brothers and sisters online today, uh, if you uh, have felt the tug of the Holy Spirit and you've prayed, uh, I would encourage you to respond somehow to Pastor BJ here and uh, to you, the congregation. I pray that you will think about what it means to be a a man or a woman after God's own heart. And uh, as we go through the next three nights, I told BJ whenever he told me that we've had to change the schedule, I said, well, that's a problem because I got four sermons. So now I got to figure out how to get four sermons in three nights. But uh, so one night may be extra long. No, just uh, Thank you for your attention. And, and I'm just so thankful that the Holy Spirit is free to work in our lives. 
and uh, that as he works, he challenges us over and over again. There isn't a one of us yet that's completed our spiritual relationship with Christ yet. We're not there. And uh, he calls me over and over again to uh, take a look inward as I speak and do these kind of things. So thank you for your attention today. I, I know I was a little, you got to remember the DSs don't get to preach a whole lot. And so whenever I get to preach, I get a little too carried away. I, I recently listened to a sermon. I told Becky afterwards, I said, I need to help uh, that pastor not do so many sermons at once. And uh, so I may have to take my own uh, uh, wisdom today and, and rethink my sermon. But there's some valuable things in that as we strive to be men and women, young people, boys and girls after the heart of God. Pastor BJ. Thank you, Pastor Terry, uh, for bringing the word of the Lord. Amen. His word is faithful. It will never leave void. We need to remember that. That word that he gave us today was not a brand new word, but it was fresh for today. And we're thankful for that. Again, a quick reminder, tomorrow night, 6.30, right back here. We're excited to worship together again. Uh, Tuesday night, 6.30. Wednesday night, can you guess what time? 6.30, that's right, that's exactly right. We do have a treat for everybody as you go out of this uh, place today. There's some cookies there, take some cookies with you. We just want to tell you how much we love you and appreciate you, and we're thankful that you're here. If you're interested in the ski trip, please go downstairs as soon as I say amen with this last prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the truth of your word. May you help us to walk out of here in obedience as your soldiers on a mission of love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.